Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm Jared Brummett, audio engineer and editor, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. In this episode, we're diving into the next installment of our study in Philippians. This is the first of a two-part episode entitled, Whatever Happens, Keep the Mind of Christ. Rob delivered this message at Unity Free Will Baptist Church in Greenville, North Carolina. As always, we'd like to invite you to visit robertjmorgan.com, where you'll find Rob's blog post, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Now, here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Opinions are flying through the air right now like a very heavy hailstorm hitting everybody, causing a lot of damage, and we all have opinions. We have a lot of opinions. We have a lot of opinions about a lot of things. And a lot of people have a lot of opinions about a lot of things. And they have a lot of ways of disseminating those opinions. We are overwhelmed with opinions. And we all think our opinions are right. I mean, I think that all of my opinions are right because if I thought one was wrong, I would change it. So we live in a world of opinions, but nobody's opinions are always right. And most people's opinions are very wrong, even if sincerely held, because only God is omniscient, possessing total knowledge, knowing every aspect of every subject, past, present, and future. He knows the temperature on every star. He knows the speed of every meteorite. He knows with precision what has happened at every epoch and moment in the past. He knows what's going to happen in the future. He knows you and me better than we know ourselves. He knows things in the invisible realm that we can't even see. He possesses total knowledge, and we don't. So he is always right, and we are seldom right unless we are thinking like he thinks. And it says in Isaiah 55, The Lord says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. We're like little grasshoppers. We try to jump up as high as we can to see what's going on in the world. But the Lord looks down on it all and he knows perfectly. So how can we begin to think the way that he thinks, engage our opinions on his truth, which is the developing of a biblical worldview. Well, he goes on to say, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. 
But as the rain comes down from heaven and the snow, and doesn't return thither, but it waters the earth and brings forth bread for the eater and seed for the sower, so is my word. In other words, God has taken his thoughts and he has disseminated them like drops of rain, a million drops of rain falling down into this book. And in this book, we have the thoughts of God. So when we study our Bibles and we begin to correspond in our thinking to what God has said in his word, then we're much more likely for our opinions to be correct and our convictions to be biblical. We will begin to look at other people the way that Jesus does, and this is called the mind of Christ. And in Philippians 2 verse 5, we have this wonderful verse. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Jesus Christ. I'd like to look at this paragraph. This is one of the most splendorous, glorious paragraphs in all of the Bible. It's one of the passages that I hardly think that I can teach from or preach from because it is so high and so lofty, so famous and so spectacular. But this is Paul's great treatment of the person of Jesus Christ. This is where he gives us in a poetical form, probably written by him, to be sung by the church so that they will have a correct theology of Christ. He gives us his Christology, that is, his doctrine of who Jesus Christ is. So let's read it together, beginning with verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what we have said so far is that Paul was writing to a church that was facing some persecution in the days of the emperor Nero. And they were also, maybe because of that pressure, having some disagreements among themselves. It wasn't a major church fight or a split. It's just that there were some relationships that were not as healthy as they should be. And in your life, is there any relationship that is not as healthy as it should be? I mean, that's really what I'm here talking about today. In your life, is there any relationship that is not as healthy as it should be? 
is there something that you can do about it if you go about it humbly? Well, this is what Paul is saying. If you go about it with humility, you'll be able to make a bigger difference than you know in that relationship because most of our difficulty comes from pride and selfish ambition and what he calls here vain glory. And he is saying, as an example of all of this, take the mind of Christ. In the previous paragraph, he said three words. Well, I'm uh, interjecting the three words. There is the trinity. He says, if there is any love and grace and consolation from Jesus Christ, if there is the love of God in your life, and if you have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in your life, then the electricity from that trinity hitting you should cause unity. It should bring about better healing in your relationships. It should make you closer to people. So Trinity brings about humility, and humility is, is determined by, hum uh, unity is determined by humility. So that's sort of the outline of the first four verses. You have the resources of the Trinity, which aid us in our unity as we develop humility. And Paul now says all of that can be rolled up together, and it can be called the mind of Christ. This is the way that Jesus thought. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to take care of people. He came to meet their needs. He was more concerned about the needs of others than about his own needs. He came and every day he woke up and he said, how can I make their day better? How can I improve them? How can I help them? How can I meet those needs? And he came as a servant, and that's the mind of Christ, the way that Jesus looked at things. And now Paul tells us how dramatic this was because of who Jesus and his eternal nature is, was, and always will be. He says, the one who came as a servant to take care of us, to make our days better, to minister to us, to meet our needs, to touch our lives, this one was in his very nature God. So look at verse 6. Who being in the form of God. Now the word form here in the Greek is the word morphe. And we get our English word morphology from it. Morphology is the study of the essence of things. So what he is saying here is Jesus was in his very essence, God. He was, is, and always will be God. He was the God of the Old Testament. I mean, he was the Yahweh who was on earth. It was well known among the Jewish people that there were two powers at operation in Old Testament days. They didn't fully understand about the Trinity, but they knew that there was a Jehovah or a Yahweh on his throne invisible to them, and that there was a Jehovah Yahweh on earth who would appear to them as the angel of the Lord and in various ways. And they understood this. And when we read back at the Old Testament, we can see that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, showed up in many times and in many ways. 
In fact, in the book of Jude, you don't need to turn there, but you may want to look at this later. In the book of Jude, depending upon what translation you have, the Lord's younger half-brother Jude said, don't you know that Jesus led the Israelites out of Egypt and through the Red Sea? That is the best attested Greek manuscripts. Some of the translations say the Lord did it. But the best attested manuscripts that has the consensus of the best scholarship says that literally what Jude says is it was Jesus who led the Israelites through the Red Sea. And Jesus was, is, and always will be God. He is in his very essence God. This is why I just don't understand it when people say to you, and I'm telling you this because someone if you get into a conversation with them, we'll probably say it to you. They will say, well, Jesus was an ordinary man, but in the early 300s at the Council of Nicaea in the days of Constantine, he was proclaimed to be God. And the reason he was proclaimed to be God is because Constantine had adopted the Christian religion for the empire, and he needed the authority of Jesus being God in order to fulfill the political gravitas that he would need with that religion. And so there's this great thought that Jesus wasn't considered by the early church to be God until the third, until about 325, A.D. 325. But that is so blatantly untrue. It is untrue in the teachings of the Old Testament. It is untrue in the teachings of the New Testament. It was untrue in the Gospel of John, whose specific purpose was to write and to let us know that Jesus was, is, and always will be God. It was well known to the writer of the Hebrews, who said about Jesus, O God, your throne lasts forever and ever. And in the church fathers, in the early writings, in the first and second and third centuries, they understood Jesus to be God. It has never been a question since New Testament days that Jesus was, is, and always will be the almighty God, the creator of the world, that he himself is divine. But though he was in essence God, he humbled himself, and it says he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, that's a very difficult phrase, and sometimes we have to look at things either in the Greek or in newer translations, and it clarifies it some. What this means is that Jesus did not consider his ongoing status on the throne with all of the prerogatives of his deity as something that he had to cling to if it came to coming to earth and taking care of the people who needed him. It's like a king who said, I'm always going to be the king wherever I am, but I don't need to continue here on the throne with all of this pomp and circumstance on this week when there has been a disaster in another part of my kingdom and I need to go there and help them. And so Jesus didn't cling to the prerogatives and to the privileges of his deity. And in this miracle 
that we call the incarnation. There is so much we don't understand about it. It's a mystery to us. But somehow, Jesus, through the womb of a virgin, also became human, and he temporarily laid aside some of the privileges and the prerogatives of his deity so that he, when he came to earth, he was a human being, still God, but now the God-man. In the Old Testament, he would appear sometimes as a man, but in the New Testament, he actually became a man, and some kind of transaction by the Holy Spirit within the womb of Mary by means of the Father's will so that it was a permanent and eternal change in his nature. And we say there are two great mysteries to Christianity, the Trinity and the duality. There is how can one, there be one God who eternally exists in three persons? And how can there be one person who continually exists with two natures? Those are the two greatest mysteries of Christianity. They're not contradictions. They're mysteries. And that's wonderful. We ought to have some mystery to our faith. A God who is little enough to be explained is not big enough to be worshipped. We need a mind-blowing God. And so we can't understand everything about the incarnation. But if you could have seen Jesus when he was 20 years old you would not have known that he was God. He would have looked like anybody and everybody else. 25 years of age, you would have known he was a very good person. He didn't break the laws. He was unusually righteous in everything that he did, but I don't think you would have known that he was God. That realization he allowed only gradually to come upon the apostles. It was at his baptism that the power of the Father came upon him when the Holy Spirit descended on him. And then he began going about his ministry, not in his own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. He began doing the Father's will, not in his own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts says, Jesus of Nazareth went around doing miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he went back to heaven and he resumed his place on the throne and he reassembled around himself all of the prerogatives of his deity. But for these 33 years, there was a very unusual miracle that occurred and that God, being God, also became a man, laying aside the privileges of his deity until his exaltation. And he went about taking care of people as one human being to others sinlessly and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, thanks for digging into the riches of the Bible with me. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company Clearly Media. Audio editing is done by Jared Brummett. Print editing and blog posting by Sherry Anderson and Luke Tyler, and music by Jordan Davis and Elijah Rowe. Thank you for listening, everyone, and may God be with you until we meet again.